With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football season is all about competition. When it comes to tailgating, that competition isn't limited to the playing field. Start with better meat from Fairway. Hand cut, fresh, and affordable. Fairway gives you the advantage in tailgating excellence. Get ready for kickoff with the best selection of meats and all the fixings from Fairway. HN Podcast. I am John Miller along with Steve Dace. Going to talk about uh, Iowa's 20 to nothing win over Northwestern from this past weekend. And Steve, I, you know, I didn't think Iowa was going to win 20 to nothing. I thought it would be like some like 17-6, 17-9. But by and large, the game went pretty much as I thought it was going to go and I think you thought it was going to go. There were a couple of games out there this weekend that I thought was, uh, you know, pretty free money. One of them was this, the over-under in the Iowa-Northwestern game was somewhere like 37, 38 points. I thought that was a, a lock of the year style under, although – I didn't wager anything on it. It's easy to say those things when you're not putting your own cash down. So what were your thoughts on the game? I agree. I think, uh, you know, in terms of the way, the tempo of the game, you had that total pegged. Uh, and you're talking about, you know, very low, te- very low totals in today's college football in a major conference game. I mean, the average point total in college football games um, – last season was I think 55 and a half points. So you're almost 20 points below that. And, and that, that total was never even threatened in this game. And then physically the kind of game I thought it would be, I thought Iowa would just dominate them. And I turned out to be right about that. So not really a lot of mystery here. I mean, you're talking about a Northwestern program that a year ago uh, was eight and one in the big 10 and in its last two games, both at home, had been outscored seventy-two to three. Hmm. And and I don't I don't see it getting any better uh, this season. There, there just isn't enough explosiveness uh, at, at the skill positions. And I think Bowser's a nice player when he's healthy, but nice is not explosive. And there I don't see any change of pace coming for them. And you're you're now getting into the time of the year. And we'll get into this with Michigan State in the Bigger Ten podcast, but you're now getting to the time of year where if you can't play complementary football, the the physical grind of playing in this league week in and week out, eventually the defense, it's not that they'll quit, but just physically the combination of, of you getting beaten down physically and then the mental awareness of knowing that if at any point we're down 10 nothing in this game, it's over. Uh, I think I think that's when you start seeing floodgates open, and I think maybe Northwestern is at that point. So the question then becomes, you know, what does Iowa's season look like going forward? The bad news is the Hawkeyes are two games out of first place in their division. Uh, the good news is the two teams that they have to beat to get there, they still have to play. And so, um, you know, Iowa's got a bye week here coming up, uh, and and something I think they're going to have to do if they're going to win those two games. And, and I, I went off on this in the Bigger Ten account. I saw you go off on people that had my perspective on it on your account. But you're not going to win 
a war of attrition in Madison. You're just you're not going to go there and win 14 to 10. You're just you're just not. It's not going to happen. And and I think Minnesota is too explosive offensively. When you look at uh, and I, I could make an argument other than Ohio State, that's the best collection of skill position talent in in our conference. When you look at the depth they have at tailback, and you look at um, you know that wide receiver trio they have. You know, we're not even talking about Tyler Johnson, even though how good or how good he is. He's having a pretty good season, but just they don't have to feed him the ball all the time because of of, of the explosiveness they have there on the outside. You're going to have to find yourself in situations, and and I haven't really spent a lot of time the last few years harping about this because I I kind of understand their approach. I get it, but when you're in a situation where you have where you're in plus territory with about a minute some odd left, and you've got a couple of timeouts. And, you're, and you've got all the momentum and you've got an opponent who's offensive. If you put that ball at the, if you put that ball outside the, outside the ticket main gate there uh, at, at Dice Stadium and said, hey, I need you guys to move this thing across the street. They couldn't do it in, in, in 20 downs. You have to, you've got to be more aggressive there. And, and I kind of think, I, I like the way Mark Morehouse put this in the second half, they faced a similar situation. And and we're far more and we're more aggressive and it ended up being a touchdown drive and I think Morehouse tweeted out seems like uh, maybe Brian won that argument with his dad at the half and I think that's where if you're gonna if you're and I and I gave them credit on this podcast last week they they're trying to break tendencies there's a they recognize on a on a macro level they cannot just run outside zone left outside zone right you know waggle play play action touchdown they don't have the horses in the interior offensive line, the most explosive tailback that they have is still a freshman who's got another year of development that he needs to do physically. And so there, I give, I, you know, last week on this podcast, I defended them against a lot of their detractors because I can see that they are trying to go against type and they're trying to, you know, um, you know, reshuffle the deck chairs, if you will, and try to find other ways that they can win football games without letting it all hang loose and, and let people uh, take advantage of areas where Iowa isn't necessarily the most explosive uh, roster. And so I appreciate that. But when you have a situation like they had there before the end of the first half, you're going to find yourself in those situations in those two games against Minnesota and, and um, uh, Wisconsin. And when you have an opportunity, when you have the momentum and you have an opportunity with a little bit of risk to keep that momentum and maybe punch that, take that game and break it open, you have to take advantage of it, in my view. Just my opinion. Now is the time to get the luxurious quality and style you envision for your home during National Karistan Month at Flooring America. Take advantage of our lowest prices of the season and receive up to $1,000 back on your purchase. Buy now with 36-month financing. Plus, with Smart Strand Forever Clean, you won't have to worry about kids, pets, or unexpected spills for life. Hurry in to Flooring America. Sale ends November 4th and discover the comfort and beauty of Karistan. So before all of you out there begin spiking your football and saying, yeah, Dave's got my back, and he does, let me add this. This was your typical late October, off Lake Michigan, dreary, raw, horrific conditions game that you always tune in and see when Northwestern has a home game. This was an Iowa 10-0 lead. And when Iowa got the 10-0 lead, I tweeted, 10 points is going to stand for the win. 
as long as Iowa doesn't commit turnovers and doesn't have a special teams gaffe, like a, a muffed punt snap or a shank that goes 10 yards deep in your own territory, it was over. So here we are at the 437 mark. Iowa has a fourth and one at the Northwestern 44. Kirk Ferentz opts to punt. And I said, hey, I know why he's doing it, because he knows 10 points is going to hold up. And also, his defense is probably going to force a three and out, and they're going to get the ball back probably in similar field position with two minutes left. That's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. With 2.30 to play, they had the ball at their own 47. So basically about nine or 10 yards worst field position than when they punted at 4.30, and with two and a half minutes to play and a fresh set of downs. Now, they gained seven or eight yards, unfortunately, in three plays, and they were right back in that same position. But at this time, there was about a minute left in the half. And I just – Kirk Kirk was not going to let the offense have some type of pick six or some type of fumble because he knew he could win this game 10 nothing, And that's how he played this game, these conditions, this day, and the opposition that has one of the worst offenses in college football. And I need to pull this up right now while we're talking because I haven't looked at Northwestern's rankings yet today. Total offense, pull it up. Going to go scroll all the way down the bottom. Northwestern is at 129 out of 130. Rutgers is better than Northwestern right now. So I understand what you're saying. If you're playing against Wisconsin or you're playing against Minnesota, you're probably not going to be able to do that. But in a day where the second half was also calling for rain throughout with a wet football, Kirk just packed it up and packed it in. Relative to that fourth and eight that Iowa went for in the second half, as far as Brian winning the argument, I respect, respectfully disagree there as well. Because Iowa had the ball on the Northwestern 30-yard line. They weren't going to try a field goal. Kirk felt if we don't get it, Wisconsin's uh, Northwestern's got to go 70 yards to score a touchdown and probably at least 50 to kick a field goal into the wind. Mm -hmm. That was rather stiff with a wet ball. So he just felt, you know what, this is the time and place to do it. So on this day, this game, these conditions, and this offensive opponent, I got no problem with it. And frankly, we all knew it was coming. So I don't, from a game – a singular game management scenario. I, I don't agree or disagree with anything that you just said. Okay. Um, last season, I watched my favorite team do this 10 weeks in a row. And it was very successful 10 weeks in a row. But in the back of my head, as I watched this, I sat there and I thought, you know, we're going to, what if, what if that game at the end of the year with everything on the line in Columbus We've got to have more of a downfield passing game. We, what if we just can't line up and maul them? And what if that's a game where they even, even if we play great defense, they hit two or three big plays against Don Brown's defense, and we're going to need 31, 35 points to win that game. And, and Michigan never, ever tried to demonstrate that it could do something or um, succeed at something that it was going to need to do later in the year. It played every single individual game. So, you know, we were at one point we were up on 42 to seven against Penn state last year. And we're just running the same zone read and the end crashes. Shea keeps it. If he doesn't, Karan Higdon, you know, gashes him up the middle. We just ran the same stuff. 42 to seven, 
21-7 against Michigan State. Just name a score, name a game. We just largely, unless we were put into a must-pass situation, we largely ran the same stuff that was already working. And then you get yourself in a, down in a snake pit against a rival, and the crowd's against you, and the momentum's against you, and everything else, and, and you're just not going to be able to impose your will in that environment because to do so, you're going to have to be, you know, physically just dominant over those teams to overcome that environment. I mean, Oklahoma couldn't physically overcome the environment in Manhattan, Kansas yesterday, for example. And we got into that situation, and what do we see in the fourth quarter? You know, you're watching, or in the third quarter, Michigan is in the game, but it's only down by eight. And Shea Patterson's running seven-step drop, you know, play-action passes, you know, with his back turned to the line of scrimmage. And by the time he turns around, Chase Young is literally taken out his fillings. Because they, ne- and they, they never established throughout the course of the season that they could, they, w- they could pull off anything outside of what, what they knew a game had to look like in order for them to win. Does that make sense? It does. It makes and total so, sense. Me, and so, that, that's, so this is a game Iowa was never going to lose. Was never going to lose. Northwestern is terrible. Absolutely offensively terrible. And if Rutgers was not in this league, we would be talking about this being historically one of the worst offenses in this conference since Minnesota finished last in total offense back in 1991. That was the last Big Ten team to do that until Rutgers entered the league. And, and so at some point, you're going to have to get off schedule. You're going to have to get outside of your framework if you're going to win both, because now it looks like you'd have to win both of those games in order to win the division. And, and I think this was a perfect opportunity in a, in a low-risk scenario with, with an offense that is dreadful, that can't block you. See, I look at all, everything you said about Northwestern is exactly why I would have done it. You were in no danger of losing the game. And I think that's a situation where it's, it's almost a preseason mentality where you can say to your team, particularly with a bye week coming up, hey, this is something we're going to need to do now later in the season. And we did it. And, we had, and, and we've got film on how it worked and how it looked. And we did it against a defensive front seven because Minnesota's defensive front seven isn't as talented as Northwestern's, frankly. All right? So I, I just think that those are missed opportunities that when you're trying to get to the next level, and I'll say this, I'm, I may be because of, you know, um, what's going on with my favorite team, very sensitive right now to missed opportunities to take another step. All right. Um, this has eluded us. It's, it's dangled out there, you know, once or twice, every one of these five seasons that Jimmy's been here. And every time it seems like we're going to do it, the, 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 the floor caves in on us. And I, and I just think this was an opportunity to put yourself in a situation where the crowd's not against you. Hell, about one third of the people are rooting for you. And the, the, the other team is not a physical threat on any level. And to, and to moderately put your team off schedule in a situation so that they can get on film and in their, mem- and in their cellular memory that they were successful in the sorts of situations it's going to take to beat to sweep those two games here next month. And I thought that was a real missed opportunity. Just my two cents. I, I understand your take on this. Um, and you're right, they weren't going to lose that game, but they also weren't going to lose the game that they led 27-14 in that very stadium with two minutes and 10 seconds left to play with Chad Greenway and Abdul Hodge at linebackers in 2005. They weren't going to lose that game. Well, they did. They lost 28-27. And obviously that offense was better than the one Northwestern has out there right now. 
and relative to working on these things, maybe if they didn't have a bye week next week, maybe they do. I don't know. But they do have a bye week. And really the thing that they need to do more than anything else is make strides at the offensive guard position. And if they can do that over these next couple of weeks, or they can install some type of different approach game plan like they did back in 2004 in a bye week before they played against Ohio State, um, they'll improve. But I want to offer up maybe the bleakest answer for you here. What if this team simply can't do those things? What are the three best defenses they've played this season, which really are the only three real defenses they've played this season? You're talking about Iowa State, yep. Michigan, yep. And, uh, and Penn State. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Iowa averaged 309 yards of offense in those games and 11 points per game. They scored 18 to beat Iowa State by one. They scored three against Michigan, and they scored 12 against Penn State. Maybe this team just isn't going to get there because of the deficiency at guard. It's not something you want to hear, but I think there's a realistic chance that's the case. And I think there's a realistic chance that Kirk's going to keep putting it on the defense, a defense that ranks incredibly high, you know, third best scoring defense in the country. Then again, when, when two of your games come against the 129th and 126th ranked offenses in the sport, oh, Miami of Ohio is 123. So I'm not saying Iowa has an elite defense. I had some people asking me today, well, this, this, these are some of the best statistics uh, of any Iowa defense. This might be the best defense of the Ferentz era. I said, it may be the fifth or sixth best, and I don't even know that yet. Because on the eye test, to me, it's still not up there with the great greats. When you consider three of the teams they've played have, are among the eight worst offensive teams in the sport, you got to kind of have a little context dashed in here. I just don't know if their offense can get there. I do think, however, they've got some playmakers. They're going to need to, to mix things up and not just put it all on the defense. Going to have to do that. Uh, and, and see what happens. And, and they may very well lose both those games. But I, I really don't know that I'm expecting them to get out of the box all that much relative to doing something different. Well, I, I'm fascinated by that answer because I, I think in terms of how they've managed micro situations, they've gotten way out of their box. That's why I defended them so vociferously on our podcast last week. You know, I mean, I, we saw – um, frequent passing on first down yesterday as we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. Um, I, I really like the way they mix things up. They have shown a willingness to put the game on Nate Stanley's shoulders and realize that <clears throat> their best option right now is, is, to, uh, is to go first and run the offense through a quarterback that has seen virtually everything college football can throw at you as a three-year starter. He's going to walk out of here with virtually every career record you'd want to have from an individual standpoint, albeit, you know, maybe not without any championships to show for it, but he's going to walk out of here with virtually every individual statistical, you know, career mark at the school. He has seen everything. And so run the offense through him and give some of your um, young players time to develop while he's got, uh, you know, pretty broad shoulders. I, I think they have shown a willingness to do a lot of those things 
which is which is one of the reasons why, if not the main reason why, I was as critical of this on Saturday as I was. Because if 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 they were content to just, you know, let's just play this out and, you know, try to, you know, fairness this thing up here, okay, fine. You know, I, we just would have rolled our eyes and said, you know, uh, I, and I probably wouldn't have tweeted anything. I just would have found Chris Hassel's Twitter account because he said it better than me, you know, and, and just let you do our weekly <laughs> lament do our weekly lamenting of Iowa, you know, end that's, of half time. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's, okay? an old, that's an old Joel McCray trick right there. Let somebody else do the heavy lifting. Yeah, yes. You know, he's going to do it better than me anyway, you know, plus he cares more than I do. Right. Um, but in this case, it, it really just bothered me just from an analytical standpoint, because it, it, I, I think what you're going to have a heart where you get yourself in trouble is if you try to have it both ways, where you try to say, you know, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, treat this thing like it's 2009. And on the other hand, you're running an offense where you've got by yardage, the leading passer in the conference is your starting quarterback. I think that's where you can get your mixed signals and get wires crossed from a game management situation. 2009 in what way? I just was trying to come up with a year. Cause that that, that running offense sucked too. Yeah, no, I I just threw that out there. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that's where, you know, either you're all in on something like this or you're not. And that, that doesn't mean, you know, when you're trying to run a four minute offense or something and you're running out the clock, you get, you still have Nate Stanley out there throwing smoke routes. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, let's have some situational awareness, common sense, but by and large, it was, it, it's the kind of thing, if I were an Iowa fan, it would frustrate me greatly because those are the kinds of decisions that you can control. Here's what you can't control. If you go play at Wisconsin and it's just a game where their offensive line is on and Jonathan Taylor houses you a couple of times, you're talking about an all-time great back in this league. I mean, he's going to have Archie Griffin kinds of numbers when he leaves here and he's not going to play four years. You know, or, you know, they, you're in a game and you're, you're selling out to stop him and you dare Jack Cohn to beat you four times and three times he can't. And then the final time he does, you know what, man, the other team has scholarship players too. And it sucks to lose like that, but they beat you where Minnesota comes in and your DBs are in a position and they throw it up to Ottman Bell and they throw it up to Tyler Johnson and Demetrius Douglas and those guys a couple times for big plays and they beat you. It's, it sucks. You don't want to lose, but they beat you and you can live with it. You can't control that. What you can control is when I have all the momentum and I'm owning your ass at the line of scrimmage and I'm putting it on you whenever I want. And I know that, you know, and you know that I know that, that Norton's not coming over here, Mr. Murphy. Right. And, and when you've got a chance right then and there to really grab somebody by the short hairs and you don't squeeze and you let him hang around later. I mean, when I, that opening drive of the second half where they go right down and get right in, deep into plus territory until the sack. I'm sitting there rolling my eyes because I'm like, those are the decisions you make that let teams hang around and have no business hanging around. That's the stuff that you can control. And that's where, um, you know, what Ferris has been a master at in his 20 plus years here. And, it's, and you can tell it's the NFL influence, um, you know, is the amount of self-scouting that Iowa does. And, and I think that's something that you don't see too, enough of in college football. You, have, you just, you don't have, you know, guys, coaches have to recruit and everything else. They can't just live all year round in a film room. 
They've got to be out on the road so many days. Your players have class. They can't, you know, at least in our league, they do. Um, so you can't just, you know, live, you know, in the film room eight hours a day. Um, and so, you know, that's the NFL world where every tendency is known and unknown and renowned three times over. Iowa really does do a really good job of self-scouting. And I hope during the bye week, there's a, for, for Iowa's sake, um, that they understand that when you get into those situations and you have an opportunity to exert your will, there's no use making life harder on you than it has to be. Looking for the best flooring values? It's all here at Floors Direct. Save now during our Stocktober sale. Find the best selection at the lowest prices on top quality in stock floors. Rake in the savings during Stocktober. Floors Direct. Say yes to paying less. You mentioned Jonathan Taylor, and when we talk about Wisconsin against Ohio State on the Bigger Ten podcast, probably not going to be a lot to talk about relative to him. And you mentioned him in the same breath as Archie Griffin. Uh, I saw him like, okay, let me go look at this. Dude, Taylor is just uh, 409 yards behind Griffin's Big Ten rushing total for his career. And did Griffin play in the era where freshmen were ineligible? I was just wondering when I think he I think he was he was eligible right him and right as freshmen were eligible. You're right. So he did. He, all four he got 867 in his freshman season. Taylor is going to pass Archie Griffin barring an injury. He will not reach Ron Dane's record of 71-25, although he would if he stayed another year. So Jonathan Taylor in three years is going to be the second leading rusher all time in Big Ten history. It's amazing. Now, now there's got to be an asterisk there by Ron Dane because Ron Dane played in the era before they counted bowl games. And now in the official NCAA stats, and now they do. And so Ron Dane is no longer the official all-time rushing champion in Big Ten history. Some guy that played at San Diego State a couple of years ago is. In NCAA they, history. They, yeah, yeah, because they won't go back and retroactively count bowl games. But if That's they stupid. did, Ron Dane would have a mark that I don't know we would ever see broken. That that's so that is so dumb that they won't go back and change it. I mean, it's not like they don't. It's not like the games weren't freaking played, and we don't have the stats. Think of think of think of Barry Sanders ran for twenty seven hundred yards in eleven games in nineteen eighty eight when he won the Heisman, which is just a mind boggling number. And that doesn't count the two hundred like eighty yards he had against Wyoming in the Holiday Bowl. (laughs) So dumb. So dumb. Yeah. So dumb. Well. That was a good conversation. I was actually a little concerned at how long we were going to be able to get out of this, especially with Iowa having a bye well, week next This week. is a key point, I think, because this is like the philosophical vortex of Hawkeye football in this era. And it's, it, and it's, it, it's fascinating when you're you and I's age and older, because you're going back to your scar, your cellular memory is scarred by what happened in 2005 that's 15 years ago <laughs> all right and i'm going back to i'm going back to even longer than that when when you know when i was growing up in in michigan and i'd come back here to iowa to visit family and stuff and um this was always the big rivals to me you know ohio state you know um we would beat them on a regular basis uh in the in the earl bruce cooper era and this was always the big rivalry to me. I'd come back here and I'd have to hear it from all the family at Christmas and Thanksgiving, because what I always feared was, um, you know, the exotics, the trick plays, the tendency breakers, um, you know, uh, the psychological ploys of Hayden Fry. And, and it, it is fascinating when you have a program that has had now only two head coaches since 1978. 
And in terms of their personas and approaches, this isn't like Rip Engel was at Penn State, kind of established that program as a national power. And then just as he was establishing it, he retires. His, his, his top assistant, Joe Paterno, takes over, and it's just the exact same program. Where Bob Devaney builds Nebraska back up and turns him into a national power, wins a couple of national titles, retires, and hands it over to his offensive coordinator with a stack team, Tom Osborne, and it's the exact same program. This is, this is very interesting in that you have two coaches at one school, and one was, the, was a long-tenured assistant of, the, of his predecessor. But in terms of their personas and their game day approaches and the way they manage games, they could not be more different. And I would imagine if you're about our age or older, and you remember that Ferentz era, you grew up in it, or you're, you were an adult living through it if you're even older than you and I are, I would imagine this is, you're, even now, 20 years into the Ferentz era, with all of the thoughts of the stand-up tight ends and the and the crazy formations and the trick plays and the exotics and everything else that Aiden was known for, it, I, this has got to be a schizophrenic fan base at times. Because you guys have, Iowa has gone from the less miles of his era, all right? Although the difference between less miles and Hayden Fry is Hayden was crazy like a fox. Less miles is just freaking nuts, all right? He's just insane. And that, that just lends itself to crazy outcomes like you saw in the Kansas-Texas Tech game Saturday night where he gets a punt, where he gets a field goal blocked that should have lost in the game and it won in the game instead. <laughs> All right, but you guys went from your own version of Les Miles to um, David Shaw at Stanford, you know, and, you know, where Kirk's like proud to be punting from the opponent's 36-yard line on fourth and four. And uh, I would imagine if – I would imagine when Hawkeye families get together – over, over holidays after the season is over, uh, in the generations that lived through the Hayden era, I, I would imagine there's some fascinating conversations amongst you guys, uh, just in terms of the, the total pendulum swing from one side to the other in terms of their approach to football. Um, you know, uh, Hayden Fry didn't, you know, would just, he didn't believe in uh, acknowledging brick walls. Like, I'll just, I'll just make a new wall. And Kirk Ferentz is like, we have to acknowledge the brick wall at all costs. It's just fascinating <laughs> to see that, to see just the and, and their winning, swing. And, and, and their you know, career wins and winning percentages, et cetera, are so similar. I know. That's, that's what's weird about it, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They both put a ton of guys in the National Football League, you know, and it's just, it's, 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 just, it's one of the most peculiar circumstances I've, I've seen in recent college football history the assistant takes over for his old boss and the program doesn't look almost anything like what it did when he ran it. Although it's virtually just the same level of success. All right. We will, uh, we'll talk a little more next, next week. You know, we'll figure something out on a buy, maybe some mid season tweaks of our own. Um, but we will also talk bigger 10 this week on the bigger 10 podcast and, and, and talk about Wisconsin. I talk about Wisconsin, Ohio state, We've got an 8-0 and Minnesota against an 8-0 and Penn State. A lot of stuff to dissect, and we'll do that over on the Bigger 10 feed. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you there. The ideal way to make your tailgating spread the envy of the neighborhood or parking lot is with Fairway. They have the best selection of fresh, hand-cut meats as well as all the fixins. Preparation is the key to a winning season, and there's no better way to get prepared than Fairway.